Welcome to the Graceway Bible Church Podcast, a place to be immersed in teachings from God's Word. We hope you will be blessed by the Word of God as we discover together what our Heavenly Father wants us to understand. If you would like more information about our church, how to know Jesus as your Savior, or teachings from the Bible, visit our website, www.gracewaybc.org. Join us now as we dive into God's Word. Well, let's pray together as we look at God's Word this morning. Heavenly Father, we come before you now, and I ask a special blessing on my sister today who's trying to discern what your will is for her and her life. For my brother who's trying to start a new job and get that job secured, I pray for the, the uh, folks that may be coming here today who find themselves discouraged for one reason or another, or someone else, Lord, who may just need the conviction of your Holy Spirit to be a kick in the pants to do the right thing. Lord, we're asking for your grace to speak. You know where each one of our hearts are. You know each of us by name, and you know our, our situations, and we know that you can speak to us individually and that, Lord, we ask that as we open your word today, that the message would apply in so many different ways that each of us would receive exact messages that we need for our lives today. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, today we come to the end of Nehemiah's experience in Jerusalem. We're going to look at chapters 11 and 12 today. There is a chapter 13. That's like the appendix. We're going to look at that next week. But after today's experience, Nehemiah is now going to move back to Persia sometime after this experience. I don't know exactly when. He was in, in Israel for uh, 12 years. During that time, he built the walls, and then they had a time where they spent re with revival among the people, and then uh, trying to deal with different challenges they had uh, among the things that were going on there. But after 12 years, he leaves. Before he leaves, somewhere before there, we have this dedication time, this celebration in chapter 12, and chapter 11, we have a problem he's going to solve. So that's what we're going to look at today as we examine God's Word in Nehemiah chapter 11 and 12. Now, in 11, we're going to look at the first two verses, and then we're going to skip the remaining uh, part of the chapter because it's about 500 names that I'm not going to read to you. And then chapter 12 starts with another about 500 names, and then we come to the dedication time. So I'm going to deal with the first two verses of 11, and then the last verses of chapter 12 in order to um, draw some application, some things that we can learn from our lives as we try to understand what God has for us today. Now, before I read these verses in chapter 11, let me point out that there's a problem that exists in the city. They've rebuilt the walls. They've even rebuilt some of the buildings inside. There aren't enough people living inside of Jerusalem. Enough people that would be this, um, whatever number of people you need uh, in order to keep the city going. And so they need more people inside the city to live there. And so they're going to solve that problem in verses 1 and 2 of Nehemiah chapter 11 in, in a way that makes me feel a little bit uncomfortable if I were one of these people that were going to move in. Well, let's stand and let's read these first two verses together, and then we'll make some comments. I think we're going to find some interesting applications for our own lives in this passage, but let's read these first two verses together. Nehemiah chapter 11, verses 1 and 2, read this way. Now, the leaders of the people settled in Jerusalem, and the rest of the people cast lots to bring one out of ten to live in the holy city of Jerusalem, while the remaining nine were to dwell in their own towns. And the people blessed all the men who volunteered to live in Jerusalem. All right, you may be seated. 
So did they volunteer or were they just appointed? I'm thinking I'm feeling a little uncomfortable because if I'm one of those people that was appointed, I'm saying, I, got, I wasn't planning on moving. You know, I, I got my roots here. I got my farm here, my sheep here, and whatever I got, and I, I wasn't planning on going somewhere else. And so I was pondering that this week. How could these people do this and feel so good about it? How could it be such a positive experience? And then I realized it's because of all the things that happened in the previous chapter, in chapter 10. Now remember, as we've gone through Nehemiah, we spend about one week on every chapter going through until we got to chapter 10. And we got to chapter 10, we slowed the whole story down so we could get as much as we could because in chapter 10, we spent three weeks looking at how people dedicated themselves to the Lord, what it means to grow up in Christ, what it means to be converted, maybe even uh, just this revival experience that touched them deeply. If you remember, the first thing they did as they were coming to the Lord after they read the Scriptures, they realized they needed to separate themselves from the people uh, in the culture, a very important thing that we must learn how to do. We must separate our identity from the people around in the culture to be dedicated and separated to the Lord. That was our first thing that they did. Then next, they dedicated their marriages to the Lord and marriage itself. Then last week, we looked at business and finance and money and rest and how all of those things fit in, and they dedicated themselves to the Lord in those areas. And by doing so, I, I think essentially what they did was they pulled up the tent pegs in their lives that attached them to this world. They made God the priority in their lives to say, God, no matter what happens in my life, no matter what experience I'm going to have, I, I want to follow you in everything I'm doing. Now, as soon as you pull up the tent pegs in your life and you, don't, uh, you aren't so latched into things, then you're much more spiritually flexible, that God can use you in ways you wouldn't be able to use, uh, use you before. I think that's what's happening in this passage. I think these people are saying, okay, we'll, we'll move into Jerusalem. And they're going to be able to follow the Lord in this very interesting way. I, I think... Um, it's fascinating. Uh, and I think sometimes we have to, to organize our lives so that we're spiritually flexible, so that God can use us. One, mom's, one dad said, I'm sorry, one man said to me, I wish I could go back to Bible college. That's what I want to do, but I can't go back to Bible college because I have so much debt. I just got to keep working now for about 10 years to pay off all my debt before I can do anything. And I think, yeah, I, I can understand that. And there are ways to organize our finances according to God's principles that free us up so that we are more flexible. So I think what's happening in this passage is that these people have so dedicated themselves to the Lord that they're able to move forward in their lives. And I think it's because of these two big ideas. And I want to share these ideas because this is where I think the application happens for us. Comfort versus fruitfulness. I think we make choices as Christians. You and I, we do this all the time. Comfort versus fruitfulness. You get really angry with someone and you want to tell them off. Well, if you told them off, you'd probably feel better temporarily. That's comfort. <laughs> but instead of telling them off, you uh, restrain yourself because of fruitfulness, fruitfulness in your own heart and for the relationships that you want to uh, keep or enhance. That's an example of fruitfulness over comfort. I think we engage in fruitfulness over comfort every Sunday morning. That's why you're here today. You could have slept in. That would have been very comfortable. But you chose fruitfulness instead. 
I think this is why some people teach Sunday school. It's fruitfulness over comfort. Or greeters, or greeters, or they're the people working in the children's program or come early at 8 o'clock in the morning to pray here on Sunday mornings because they choose fruitfulness over comfort. You do it in your life. And why do we do it? Here's why. Because the world says comfort is our goal, and if you have comfort, you'll be satisfied. And God says, no, that's not going to work. It's fruitfulness. It's through fruitfulness that we find ourselves experiencing purpose and mission in life, and it's through that we get the satisfaction that God has for us. So we're involved in fruitfulness, fruitfulness over comfort. Oh, a couple weeks ago, we had the the VBS planning uh, family day event. We had a record attendance of people helping with with the uh, VBS preparation going on. And we're really grateful for all the people came out. But those people sacrificed comfort for fruitfulness. That's what we do in our lives. That's what Christians are. We sacrifice uh, comfort for fruitfulness regularly. And so I imagine these guys now, okay, let's go back into the, into the Jewish culture there. And there, we have some volunteers who went to Jerusalem and some that were uh, chosen by Lot. Let's imagine the family where they become volunteers. And the mom of the family says, maybe around dinner, you know, uh, they're looking for more people to come into Jerusalem. I'm thinking maybe our family would benefit from that. I'm thinking maybe we should go and participate in that. And dad says, well, I hadn't thought about that before. Hmm, let's think about that. And, and, and the Lord works in their hearts, and they say, yes, we're going to volunteer, and we're going to go and plant ourselves in Jerusalem. Yes, we're going to volunteer. And then there's the people that where the lots take place. The, the determining things by lot was God's way of often uh, making decisions and helping them know what God wanted them to do in their lives. Dad comes home on this day, and he says, Honey, you're not going to believe this, but I was at, at the city center, and they were drawing lots for who's going to live in Jerusalem, and our name came up to go live in Jerusalem. I think we're going to Jerusalem. And, and Mom says, Wow, I hadn't thought about that. Uh, I guess that could be a great thing. We do want to serve the Lord. And so there's this, do you see that spiritual sensitivity? You must feel that sometimes. When God, we call it, He places a burden on your heart to do something. He uh, places a burden on your heart to participate in something, either to grow or to serve or some way be fruitful, because fruitfulness is more important than comfort. It is a primary principle that we live under as Christians and that we appreciate in our lives. Some people are afraid of that, actually. They say, oh, I don't know. If I give myself to the Lord, likely he's going to send me to Africa. And they go, oh, 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 you know, that's like the biggest penalty in the world. I've been in Africa. I lived there for nine months. It is the most beautiful place that our family could have enjoyed God and what he was doing in our lives. And we came back from Kenya where we spent our nine months, and uh, we planted a church called Calvary Chapel, Mercer County, and one of the couples that was in that church was Jeff and Linda Simpson. Oh, I remember them well. They, at the very first meeting, we were just a Bible study, getting ready to start, and Jeff comes in and he says, would you mind if I brought my guitar in? And I, we, of course, I'm behind the scenes praying, Lord, would you bring us a worship leader? Well, he became the worship leader for the church at Calvary Chapel, Mercer County. It was so fun to have him um, lead worship and to allow him to participate in worship, and he really developed the whole worship team, and then, then the Lord called he and his wife to say, you know what? I think maybe we'll go to Africa. And they moved to Africa, left us with a hole in our worship team, which has since been filled with all kinds of godly people. That's great. But 
God called them to Africa, and, and they have a great ministry over 10 years now. They've been in Africa, and they have a ministry with young people there, and that's who's sharing tonight. They're bringing one of the young people, one of the Kenyans from young, the young people's group there, they're bringing to our church tonight to share. So I would just encourage you, if you um, have young people and you want them to get an understanding of God's work in another culture, what God might even do in their lives, come to church tonight. There's this ability that takes place when we, we pull our tent pegs up out of, our, of the world system, and we're spiritually flexible, we're spiritually attuned to what God has for us, and He can move us then. He can, move, he can allow us to move to a different location. Some of you are in transition right now. I don't know what God is doing in your life in the midst of that transition, but as we're spiritually sensitive, we allow God to move us. And He's able to do that in ways that we might not ordinarily do. That's what I think is taking place in this casting of lots, that people are saying, okay, if that's what God wants for me, I'm going to do that. And sometimes we wrestle with the will of God in our lives. We say, Lord, I'm not sure what you want me to do here, but I want to serve you no matter what I do. And God may move us into a place that feels uncomfortable in our lives because that's part of fruitfulness inside of our hearts and with other people around. So it's a beautiful picture, I think, of what's happening in this story with Nehemiah and how the people are so responsive to the Lord. And when you get a lot of people like this in a, in a church who are all kind of being sensitive to the Lord and asking the Lord to speak, amazing things happen. I'm really grateful to be a part of this fellowship where God is placing on people's hearts ways that they can contribute and, and start ministries and be parts of ministries, and uh, just so many good things. It's great to see that. Well, we're going to skip over the next many verses in chapter 11 that you can see there, and we're going to actually skip over the parts in chapter 12, because now we're going to go to the end of chapter 12 to the celebration. Now, we don't know exactly where this happens and how many years after this Nehemiah stays around before he leaves, but this is the last grand finale. This is the big event uh, for the folks here in Nehemiah's time, because now they're going to dedicate the wall that they built. That was Nehemiah's goal. Let's build the wall. But then it turned out to building all the people and all these things. But let's go back now and look at the wall. Let's dedicate the wall. So I want to read to you the verses starting in chapter 12, verse 27. And it says this, At the dedication of the wall of Jerusalem, the Levites were sought out from all their homes and brought to Jerusalem to celebrate the joyous dedication with thanksgiving and singing accompanied by cymbals, harps, and lyres. You see, the Levites were the people who didn't have a particular land. They were the ones who were spread out throughout the land, representing God in all of these different places, and they lived in these towns and so on. But Nehemiah is calling for this big music festival, for all of those Levites to come back from wherever they are to be a part of what God wants to do in Jerusalem for this music festival, for this big dedication of the wall to the Lord. So these people are coming back, and as they're coming back to celebrate this, they're leaving where they are for this big music festival. Notice the word thanksgiving in there. We're going to see it again. Because this whole celebration is one of thanksgiving and being grateful for what God has done for them. And they're singing, and they're accompanied by their musical instruments. So they're bringing their musical instruments with them for the dedication of the wall. Now, when you look at lyres and, 
and uh, harps. Those are basically stringed instruments that you, um, you play strumming. They're basically guitars, okay? That, that's what they are. So you can imagine all these people with the guitars on their back coming over, coming down to uh, Jerusalem to be part of this big celebration, and they're going to march. This is a marching band, so they've got their marching guitars with them, and they're all moving together. Uh, they're going to be moving together. Let's read on and see what happens. The singers were also assembled from the region around Jerusalem, from the villages of the Nathophathites, from Beth Gilgal, and from the fields of Geba and Asmabath, for they had built villages for themselves around Jerusalem. So the singers are all out there somewhere, and they're going to pull together to be this large multi-city choir meeting in Jerusalem for the big dedication. I wonder about the... the uh, dress rehearsals that they had. I wonder how their practices were. I wonder if they sent out word, we're going to sing these three songs, practice these songs, or these ten songs, practice these in advance, so they're out there singing in their fields or whatever, but then they come together to Jerusalem in order to experience this choir. And so the, the music festival is about to begin, and all of these people are coming into Jerusalem. It's all a great part of what God wants to do on this special day. They live also in the regions around Jerusalem, notice, and they're coming together. Notice verse 30, it says, after the priests and Levites had purified themselves, they purified the people, the gates, and the walls. So that's the first thing they did. They had this kind of purification time. It's kind of like what we do when we are starting an event or starting a meeting or starting a Bible study, whatever you do. Often someone will say, well, let's pray first, and we open up the meeting or the event with prayer. We just want to dedicate this time to the Lord, Lord. We just want you to be honored in whatever we do in this conversation. Whatever we do in these activities, we want you to be honored. So that's what they're doing here. They're having this initial prayer of dedication and uh, purifying everybody as they get started. Now, what's going to happen in verse 31 is they're going to form these two choirs, and one choir is going to go to the right, the other choir is going to go to the left, and they're going to march on the actual wall. And they're going to sing these choirs as they go along. must have been an amazing sight to watch them. Let's read about it. Then I, this is Nehemiah, because this is Nehemiah's diary, that uh, he, his journal that we're reading as part of one of the books of, of the Bible. He says, Then I brought the leaders of Judah up on the wall, and I appointed two great thanksgiving choirs. Isn't that interesting? These are called thanksgiving choirs. One's going one way, one's going the other way, and they're going to give thanks to the Lord in their song. One was to proceed along the top of the wall to the right, toward the dung gate. Hoshiah and half of his leaders of Judah followed, along with Azariah, Ezra. Ezra is important to note because he's going to lead this one. And those other guys there. And some of the priests with trumpets. Now we've added another instrument there. As part of this, the, the trumpets were there. And also Zechariah, son of Jonathan, the son of Shemaiah, the son of Mataniah, the son of Micaiah, the son of Zakur, the son of Aphath, Asaph, and his associates, all these other guys, with the musical instruments prescribed by David, the man of God. They're going into the rich history of music and instruments, and they're remembering David. You know David. David is the, the psalmist. The shepherd boy who wrote songs. We have many of them in our book of Psalms where we can read about his, his uh, Psalm 23 or Psalm 1. 
those beautiful songs. And, and David organized music, musicians, musical groups that would lead the people in worship. And David even danced before the Lord. And it was just, music was a very important part of David's legacy. And the people now are kind of reflecting back on that legacy and taking some of the things that they experienced there in the past. That's what we like to do at Graceway. We like to dig into the, the spiritual legacy where, where churches even today have written songs and those become our worship songs, our, our, our praise songs that we sing. And then we have songs that are older, even the, the hymns that we go back. There's a legacy of worship that they're bringing with them into this Thanksgiving choir that's rich. And so it's mentioned that they go back to even David himself, the man of God. I remember a conversation I had with a woman that really marked me. Uh, she's not a believer, or she wasn't when she visited our church. And she came into the church, and, and she sat through the whole experience. And I asked her at the end, uh, what did you think about that? And she says, you know, one of the things I realized is I don't have a space in my life where I sing with other people. I thought, wow, that's really interesting because I take that so much for granted. I, I grew up in the church. I sing with people all the time. Every Sunday morning I sing with people. I really enjoy singing with people. It's a beautiful thing to do. For someone to say, I don't have a space in my life where I sing with other people, I just think that's sad. I love singing with other people. And I think one of the reasons we come together is because the worship is so powerful that we enjoy it draws us in our work with the Lord. Often God will speak to you in the worship time even more powerfully than he may speak to you through a sermon. That worship is this opportunity for us to connect our hearts directly to God. Sometimes it's because it connects through intellect, but music has this ability to bypass all of our stuff, all of our intellect, all of our worries, all of our concerns, all of our things that are on our to-do list. It goes straight into our heart. And so we're able to lift up this worship to the Lord, and it's a beautiful thing. And so they're engaging these Thanksgiving choirs to walk along the wall and sing these beautiful Thanksgiving songs to God and to draw attention to His greatness. Notice it says in the next part of verse 36, Ezra the scribe led the procession. So, procession. so he's going to the right. At the fountain gate they climbed the steps of the city of David, on the ascent to the wall and passed above the house of David to the water gate and on the east. The second Thanksgiving choir, that's the one going to be led by Nehemiah. The, the second Thanksgiving choir proceeded to the left, and I followed it with half the people along the top of the wall, past the tower of the ovens to the broad wall, over the gate of Ephraim, the Jeshana gate, the fish gate, the tower of Hananel, and the tower of the hundred as far as the sheep gate. And they stopped at the gate of the guard, the two thanksgiving choirs then stood in the house of God, as did I, along with half of the officials accompanying me, as well as the priests with their trumpets and all these guys' names. Then the last part says, then the choirs sang out under the direction of Jezrahiah. So Jezrahiah pull, pulls both choirs together, okay, and he leads them in these great songs of thanksgiving. It's such a beautiful celebration that they're experiencing now. And what were they thanking God for? And I think back on their lives, they didn't have really an easy life as they were building this wall. In fact, it was rather challenging at times. Do you remember earlier in our story that Tobiah had 
was mocking them, and he said, if a fox crawled up on that wall, it would just tumble over. And now they're marching on it. I don't know what OSHA would say without any railings or whatever. But anyway, they're walking along the wall with their, all of their uh, trumpets and their guitars and their songs, and it's this beautiful choir of thanksgiving. They're grateful not only that they built the wall, but that God protected them in the midst of that. It wasn't easy. There were some pretty anxious times for those people. Do you remember there was Boyne Point where they had their swords in one hand and a trowel in the other because they were, they were building the wall, uh, but they had to watch out for the enemy. It just reminds me that, that often we have times of thanksgiving, even in the midst of the struggles of suffering and anxiety and pressure that exists in our lives. But notice in the last phrase of this verse, it says, and so that the joy of Jerusalem was heard from afar. In other words, people, it was like resounding joy that people saw, that they saw, wow, something's going on over there in Jerusalem. They're hearing the joy that's happening over there. See, I'm convinced that, that when we choose fruitfulness over comfort, that God produces this thing inside of us that other people are attracted to. It's that love that allows us to overlook offenses. It's that love that allows us to go the extra mile with people. It's that joy that it, that's resident even when they're in the midst of pain and suffering. It's that peace we can experience even when our world is in chaos, and people take notice of that. And they say, wow, what's going on over there in Jerusalem? Oh, what's going on in that person's life? What's going on in that family's life? And they're able to see something very powerful that God is doing because well, that is the result of this fruitfulness in our lives. We make choices regularly. We choose fruitfulness over comfort. And we do that because God calls us to do that. But it's not just out of duty. It's because we know there's a great reward in that. That it's the fruitful life that produces the fulfillment, the joy, the, the peace that God wants us to experience in our own deep hearts. And I just... I walk away from this story in Nehemiah saying, yes, I want to be like the Nehemiah believers who are willing to, to sacrifice so many things, kind of pull up the tent pegs from their lives so that God can use me in ways that are just allow me to move with His Spirit. So I can take extra time with this person, or I can stop and help this person, or I can, I can do this other study that God wants me to do. There's a sense of dedication to the Lord that's powerful that we want to enjoy, we want to experience, we want to be part of what God has for us, each one in our lives. Well, in just a moment, we're going to sing a song. We're going to continue our worship together. And as we do, I just encourage that you to, to ask God, what is He saying in your, your heart? What does He want to do? How does He want to move you today? What does he, how does He want you to choose fruitfulness over comfort in your own life. And as you do, as you make those choices, you'll see and you'll experience the blessings and the thanksgiving and the joy that we see here in this passage as well. Would you stand with me and let's pray together. So, Lord, at this moment, we take all of the things that we've heard from this passage and things that I've said, and we try to discern what's best from you for us. And Lord, I ask that you would speak to each person today and give them that special, special insight for their week, for their day, for their life, for the stage in their life. Lord, we're just asking that you would speak to us in a very personal way. Teach us what it means to follow you this week and to serve you in everything that we do. 
We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for sharing in this message. We pray it will make a difference in your life. Please consider joining us for our Sunday morning and evening worship services. For location and more information, visit our website, www.gracewaybc.org, and listen next time to learn more. May the God of peace richly bless you through his Son, Jesus Christ.